All right. Um, it, as I've said, it's great. It's great to be here. And, you know, as we were confessing our sins together, sort of recalling the ugliness in our hearts still, you heard the, the wind blowing, the beauty of, of creation, the birds singing. Um, and it's a reminder that, that our, our ugliness is just a drop in the bucket compared to God's beauty and mercy and love towards sinners. And that's what we're celebrating this morning. And so uh, we're thankful for you here. Again, uh, my name is Casey Shutt. I'm the pastor of King's Cross Church here in Oklahoma City. If you want to learn more about us, visit our website, kingscrossokc.com. So, we are in the book of Ephesians again. Now, we took a little hop outside of Ephesians the last couple of weeks to look at Colossians. And there are um, striking parallels between the two books. In fact, I'm, I feel like I've been experiencing what Yogi Berra called deja vu all over again because... We've bounced back and forth between Ephesians and Colossians, and the, passage, the passages that we've been looking at in both books for the last four weeks are almost identical. Like, I'm kind of preaching the same sermon every week, and it gets, like it's kind of hard. But as I've reflected upon it, upon this passage, this idea that Paul is telling us that we have to put off and discard the old person and put on a new self, I am increasingly convinced that this is the point that is most controversial for our faith. That this concept that Paul is describing is the point where our faith and American culture clash. It, it's, they're, they're an affront to one another. Uh, more so than maybe any other doctrine. Because what Paul is asking us to do is a direct challenge to everything that you and I have learned in this life, in America, in the 20th, 21st century. It's, it violates the way we've been taught. It violates the way that we have been coached. It violates the way that we parent and have been parented, what Paul is asking us to do. It violates our culture's understanding of sexuality. What Paul is asking us to do is, is rubs against our own assumptions and sensibilities on what it means to be uh, a person. And it all has to do with how we understand the self. You see, since the beginning, Americans have been very individualistic. There was a French, Frenchman in the 1800s that came across to observe America, Alexis de Tocqueville, and he said, if Americans are anything, they are individualistic. And what he was talking about was, was this rugged individualism that said, I'm going to go off into those woods, I'm going to chop down trees, and I'm going to build a cabin, and I'm going to make a life for myself. Now, as, as, as the centuries moved along in the 1900s, that individualism shifted. And a, a guy named Robert Bella, an Oki, who spent his academic career at UC Berkeley, wrote a national bestseller called Habits of the Heart in 1985. And he said, Americans are still individualistic, but it's what he called expressive individualism. 
you gain your meaning as an individual by expressing everything that's inside of you. Your heart, your desires, your feelings. The purpose of, of, of the human life is to express those. And that belief was solidified in pop culture by the queen of pop, Madonna. 1989 comes out with a hit single, Express Yourself. Right? And, it, and even a few years later, it's like etched into our legal precedent by Anthony, uh, Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy in Planned Parenthood versus Casey, where Anthony Kennedy said this in, his, in, in the uh, decision. This is incredible. At the heart of liberty, at the heart, what does it mean to be free? Here's what it means. At the heart of, the li of liberty is the right to define yourself, your own concept of existence, of meaning, for you to define the universe and the mystery of human life. That's an incredible statement. Every other human culture has said, we're going to pass down to the next generation a tradition, a series of habits and beliefs about the universe, about the meaning of life, about the meaning of the individual. We're going to pass those along. And what we're passing along has been building for, for hundreds of years and thousands of years through the stories we tell and the things we believe. And we're going to pass that down. But what Kennedy is saying in this statement, he's, he's essentially taking a machete to all of that tradition. And he's saying, okay, individual, go get them. Go figure it out. Go find meaning for yourself. Construct your own universe. Construct your own meaning. Construct your own self. That's the purpose. Now, that's daunting for an individual to do all of that. So how does it happen? Well, here's how it happens. Hang with me. I'm, I'm digging into some sociology. So hang with me here. Um, this is how it happens. Over the last 50 to 60 years, our trust and confidence in institutions has dwindled. Right? We don't, we don't have confidence in government or in our schools or in our academic institutions. We don't trust the media. The, 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 the security and safety of the family has been diminished. In American life, the value that we give to institutions has diminished. And at the same time, while that's diminishing, the value and sacredness of the self has been on the rise. So that the self has taken on an almost divine quality. That's the only way we as individuals can bear the weight of figuring out the meaning of the universe for ourselves, as Kennedy asked us to do. So, Paul chimes in on this whole topic of the self in our text this morning. He chimes in, and we're going we're gonna to look at that uh, this morning. Let's read Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 17. Paul says, and actually, let's go ahead and stand up as we read God's Word. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. 
But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. All flesh is like grass and its glory like the flowers. The, the grass withers and the flowers fade. But God's Word stands forever. And this is the Word of the Lord. Alright, you guys can be seated. I'm going to pray for us as we, as we jump in. Our Father, we ask um, for Your help as we try to understand Your Word. Um, it is everlasting. It stands forever. And, and the ways of this world are fleeting and changing and evolving. And so we ask that we would root our, our thinking, our hearts, our love, our desires in that which is permanent, in, in You. Help us to do that as we consider this text this morning. Amen. So I want us to consider three things this morning. Three things. One, why the American understanding of the self, like expressive individualism, why that's wrong. Paul's going to tell us why that's wrong. And then two, what, what should we do with the self? If we're not expressing the self, what do we do with it? That's number two. And then number three, how do we do it? How do we do it? So those are the three headings. Okay, so Paul says in this passage, take off your old self, discard it, and put on something entirely new. Right? Paul is saying self-expression, not a good idea. Right? And here's why. Verses 17 and 18. Don't walk as the Gentiles walk. Now, he's not just being like racist and dissing an entire people. Um, because he's, he's talking to Gentiles who have converted to Christianity. He's saying the way of the culture around you has been informed and shaped without God. And you need to not walk like that. Here's what it looks like when you shape your life apart from God. You, have, you, you walk in a futility of mind, seven, verses 17 and 18. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Okay, so he's saying a lot here. It's all rooted, the root, the source of it, is a hardness of heart that alienates a person from the life of God. Paul is saying, look, the Gentiles, they have, they have looked around at creation and all of God's handiwork and they've looked at their creator and they've said, we don't want anything to do with it. We, we are alienated. God is an alien to us and therefore he must be deported from our lives. And they want nothing to do with him. And as a result of that alienation, they have become numb and callous. Look at the word he uses. Hard of heart. The word hardness there is porosis, which is the word used to describe like marble, like a marble Greek, you know, Greek statue made out of marble. It's porosis. If you got a, a growth, like a tumor, a growth on your bone or joint that was hard, it was porosis. That's, that's what the hardness of heart is. 
Now, the last time we were together, I don't know if you guys remember, it was, I, I remember it. <laughs> it was March 8th. That was the last time we were together like this. And uh, at that time, we talked about this principle of the universe that we become like the things we worship. And we looked at a psalm where it described um, these idol makers who make these idols that have ears, but they can't hear. And they have eyes, that they can't, but they can't see. They have noses, but they can't smell. And they have mouths, but they can't speak. They can't do anything. They're these hard, lifeless structures. And then the psalmist says this, those who make them become like them. So what happens is we alienate ourselves from God. We turn from God and we begin to cobble together pieces of creation and we begin to worship creation. And consequently, we become like creation. We, become, we begin to decay. We begin to break down. We begin to fall apart. We become numb and callous. And so what happens then? Well, Paul says, verse 19, we get desperate. I'll, I'll read verse 19 in a sec. We get desperate to feel again. If you have a numb, callous heart, what do you want? You want to feel alive. And so, verse 19, these Gentiles have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Right? Just letting the senses, letting our desires, letting our heart drive all of our action in an effort to feel alive. Now, in Colossians, Paul's emphasis is on sexual impurity. Uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't just include that. It can include um, academic success. It can include vocational success at work. It can include um, alcohol and drug abuse. All of these things that we inject or take on or pursue in order to feel alive. And that's what we do when we've divorced our lives from, from God. So hopefully you're beginning to see the problem with expressive individualism. Right? Madonna's call to just express ourselves is disastrous because the self is divorced from its life source. The self is divorced from God. That's what Paul is saying. And as a result, we're, we're, we, we don't have good minds. We're darkened in our understanding. We're alienated from God. We have hard hearts. It's a disaster brewing in our lives if we take our cues from our own heart that's fundamentally broken and flawed. And, you know, here's the thing. I think, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Really, post-World War II, this is when this is really sort of sped up, this expressive individualism, this desire to kind of, you know, you do you, just follow your heart. And, and here's what it's gotten us. We've experienced since the Second World War, a breakdown of, of community. Um, racial divisions are still a problem. I mean, just this year, a, a black man who decides to go take a jog, runs, is chased and gunned down. Like, that's not 1960. That's, that's this year that that, has hap that, that happened. Um, there's, there's, there's a breakdown uh, in, in, in our own mental health. We're miserable and depressed. Since 1999, suicide has shot up 33%. We're more miserable than we've ever been. So what do we do? If, if we don't express ourselves, if that's what Paul's saying, what do we do? Well, Paul says, be schooled by Christ. Be schooled by Christ, verses 20 and 21. But that's not the way that you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him 
as the truth is in Jesus. So what's the subject in the school of Christ? It's Jesus. He's the, the content, right? Did you see what Paul says? That's not the way you learned uh, soteriology or ecclesiology or theology. All of these theological categories. Is that what he's talking about? No, he reduces it to a single word. That's not the way you learned Jesus. It's all in orbit around Jesus. Christian education, Christian formation. In Colossians, Paul says that in Christ are held all the, wis- all, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you want any wisdom or knowledge in this world, you peel back the layers and Jesus is there. He's behind it all. And so Christ is the subject. Who's the teacher in the school of Christ? Look at verse 21. Now, actually, a little translation issue. Verse 21. Assuming that you have heard, you see a preposition there, about, him okay that word about is not in the greek there's no preposition there paul is so that's sort of added for clarification but it actually kind of muddles it a bit because paul is saying that i have been as an apostle of christ i am speaking on behalf of christ as as the word of god is ministered it's christ in some mysterious way it is christ speaking to you so jesus is the content Jesus is the teacher, okay? And then finally, the truth, all the truth that we're learning is in Jesus. Jesus is also the context of all of this teaching. He's the context. So, that's sort of the lay of the land in the school of Jesus. Well, what, what, what exactly is Jesus telling us to do? He's telling us that we need to be born again. That we need a new self. We need to be made new we don't need to express ourselves we need a completely new self and paul has already said that in ephesians chapter 2 right you were dead in your sins and in chapter 2 verse 4 but god made you alive he's remade you from the inside out the old mind was you you were dim-witted and had a blunt mind and a hard heart and now you have a renewed mind Your old self was driven by sensuality and desire. And the new life is driven by righteousness and holiness. Right? The the old self was driven by deceitful desires, Paul says. Deceitful desires. That is a a great term, right? You've, You've had this experience in life where you've seen something and you desired it and you thought about it and you longed for it. And then you got that thing and it didn't deliver it was, it was deceitful. It promised big, but its deliver was disappointingly low. Uh, Ravi Zacharias passed away this past week, a, a great uh, Christian teacher and preacher and apologist. And he, he said once, the loneliest moment in life is when you experience that which you thought will deliver the ultimate and it has let you down. It's the loneliest moment in life. So if the old was driven by deceitful desires, the new is driven by truth, right? True righteousness, true holiness, Paul is saying. So hopefully we see how, just how clear our faith is on this question of the self and what we're to do with it. 
Right? Christianity is very clear. It, Christianity says you need a complete and thorough transformation from the inside out. That's how you live a fulfilled life. Now, the big question now is, how do we do that? How do you make yourself new? Um, well, and the answer, it, it's a lot like your own existence, your first life. It's a lot like your old self, um, both how you arrived and how you grow, right? Think about how you got here. Did you put in a request with Almighty God, say, I'd, I'd like to exist on planet Earth. Could you please put that in the, in the cards for me? Uh, no, you didn't do that. You didn't do anything. You just passively received life, and here you are. And our new life in Christ comes about in the same way, right? You don't, you don't, it just comes, and the Spirit of God comes into you and resurrects you to new life in Christ, okay? But then the question becomes, how do you grow? How do you grow? Kids, how do you grow? You guys are growing. I've seen some of you that I haven't seen in like three months, and already, I mean, I can see the, you guys have gotten taller and bigger. How did that happen? Did you just like stretch upward every day for like five minutes a day? Well, that happened apart from you, but you also play a role in that, right? If you eat, your, if you eat the food that your parents put before you to eat that's going to nourish you, and help you grow taller, you play a role in that. You can exercise and die. you can read books to help your mind grow. So growth, it, it happens, we're, we participate in our own growth in a way that we didn't with the new birth. It's something we're more involved in. And our, our, the Westminster um, Shorter Catechism asks the question, what is sanctification? And the word sanctify, it's a fancy Christian term, but all it means is our growth in Christ, our, our maturing to become more like Jesus. Every Christian wants to be more like Jesus. That's literally what the word means. It's little Christ. And it was, it, non-Christians gave Christians that name to kind of make fun of them. They're like little Jesuses that are eventually going to die on a cross. Foolishness. Foolish people. But now we've embraced it, and it is what we want to be. We want to be little Christ. So how do we grow up in Christ? Sanctification refers to that process of growing up into Christ. And here's what the Westminster Shorter Catechism says. Here's how it answers that question. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace by which our whole person, all of us, is made new in the image of God. And we are made more and more able to become dead to sin, to put off the old self, and to become new, to become alive to righteousness. That's sanctification. Becoming dead to sin and alive to righteousness. Do we, do we make it happen? Not really. Is it work? Yes, it is work. It's work. We toil in the Spirit, is Paul's language. Think of it like this. If you've ever been rock climbing with a, you know, the rope hold, helping you along the wall, and you're climbing up the wall, and uh, you might slip, and do you fall to the ground? Not if the person down low is doing what they're supposed to be doing, right? Holding you up. They pull you up. Maybe, maybe you get to a point where you can't quite reach the next rock, and if the person down below is nice, they might go and give you a little yank, little boost up on the wall. That's 
That's what we're talking about when we're talking about our growth in Christ and the Spirit's help. The Spirit is like the person down at the bottom helping us along, giving us a little boost. But we're still working. We're still going at it. We're, we have to, we have to as, as Justin mentioned a couple of weeks ago in the sermon, we have to put our throat, I mean our foot on the throat of the old self. Because if we're not killing it, it will kill us. That's what sin, that's how serious sin is. But we have the Spirit helping us in that process. So, final question. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with all of this? Do you follow the wisdom of Madonna to express yourself? Or do you follow the ancient, eternal wisdom of Jesus that we need a new self? We need to put off the old self and put on Christ and begin to express Him. Like He is what flows from us. Christ is now residing in us. So to the extent that we express ourselves as Christians, we are expressing Christ to a broken world that needs Him. We have been clothed in His righteousness, and He's actually making that righteousness work itself out in our lives, in our relationships, in our work, in our marriages, in all of life. Let's pray together for His help as we do this. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank You that You have given us a, a vision of life that resonates. Deep down, we, we know that we don't have the resources to figure this life out, that we need, we need You. And You have promised not just to help us, but to reside within us and empower us to live as you've called us to live. And we confess the, the ways we fail in that. And we thank you that you are merciful, patient, long-suffering as you help us to grow in Jesus. Help us to be that way towards others. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.